Hi, it's Tracy Crossley. Welcome to my special series, Surviving to Thriving, Overcoming My Darkest Moment, where I will interview guests on how they felt their way through a major emotional low point to create a fulfilling, abundant, and successful life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back for another episode of Surviving to Thriving, right? You haven't seen one in a while because we've been on hiatus with it. Well, we're back. And today I have with me a really wonderful, caring, passionate man. You may know him. His name is Jonathan Asley. Jonathan? Hey, Tracy. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to throw it out there. Okay. All right. So let me tell you guys a little bit about Jonathan, and then we're going to jump right in. So The focus of one of America's leading midlife dating coaches has expanded into a deeper essential philosophy of what it truly means to love. After losing his 19-year-old son, Connor, in 2018, Jonathan's grief led him on a soul-searching inner journey, where he became aware of an often overlooked dimension of the dating conversation. Today, he's on a mission of encouraging both men and women to fully love themselves with a new book, What the heck is self-love anyway? And that's a big question. Packed with fun, engaging spiritual and personal growth practices and his dynamic midlife, uh, yeah, midlife love mastery mentorship program that inspires hundreds of people daily around the world. And so welcome. And wow, that is quite a lot. I mean, I'm a parent myself. So, um, so what I'd like to do, and this is what I do every time is I want to start with What were some of the things going on in your life, maybe as a child or as a young adult, that sort of planted the seeds for you in getting to your darkest moment and how things unraveled and what things happened afterwards? So feel free to jump in with that. Thank you. And that's a great question. And I appreciate the the nice introduction. Um, So what's interesting is I reflect on this question. I think of kind of the programming I grew up in. And I was at the tail end of the baby boom generation. And so my parents were pushing, you know, after high school, you have to go to college. I mean, real big push, you go to college. And after college, you get a job. And after you get a job, you meet a girl. And after you meet a girl, you get married. And after you get married, you buy a house. And after that, you started a family. And that was the recipe for success. And I followed that blueprint perfectly. And on some level, I operated very much from a egoic place, especially in my work life. I was so consumed with becoming a partner at the firm I was in, and I was in the insurance business. So I was very much living a life from a selfish, egoic place. And while, and not from, I don't want to characterize from not being disingenuous to the people I love or whatnot, but I was very single focused. And my world came, come, I mean, literally came to a crash. And when a couple things happened, first, my 12-year marriage was ending. And, and, and by the way, I can really say it never really should have started, but it did and, uh, because I followed that blueprint. And then the same month my, my wife and I decided to divorce, I lost my quarter million dollar a year job. Wow. And, and anyone going through a divorce, you know, and by the way, a contentious divorce, money is a big component of this. So I'm now getting hit with a barrage, you know, of this um, chaos going on. And then this was right at the time that the market crash was happening. 
And I had a seven figure net law, I mean, you know, wipeout. Right. So literally within a 12 month period, my life crashed. And now what was fascinating at this time was I was internet dating and I was addicted to internet dating. I mean, I was absolutely addicted to talking to women incessantly. I was talking to multiple women at the same time, not necessarily physically meeting them or going out on dates. I was just feeding my need for feminine attention, which eventually became the path I took from a professional standpoint. But I, I reached such a low point that I actually had to, at 45 years old, I had to move in with my mom and dad in a retirement community in a home of 900 square feet or a condo of 900 square feet after coming from a 4,000 square foot, $2 million home. So just as a, just to give you some contrast here. Oh, that's contrast. That's definitely yeah. contrast. So let me ask you a question really quick. When it came to um, talking to the women and you were looking for feminine attention, what specifically in the feminine attention were you trying to get for yourself? Well, gosh, you know, in, in retrospect, at the time, I don't think I was cognizant of it, but I was, I was just needing validation. I needed someone to, I needed people to vent to. I was angry about the divorce process. I was angry about what happened in my life. I was, I was projecting a lot of, you know, my frustration and anger out. Um, I, I became, I drank and I did cocaine. I was, I was self-medicating to navigate, you know, that experience. Um, and the feelings, I, I just, I guess I wanted to feel like I wasn't alone. I just wanted to feel like there was somebody that cared about me and, and I was thirsty for it. And it was like the minute you meet someone and it didn't work out, I had to get the next person. And when that didn't work out, I had to get the next person. In fact, my first year after my divorce, I had over a hundred internet dates. Wow. That sounds like a movie actually. Yeah. <laughs> There's plenty of ones <laughs> like that, but, <laughs> but you know, it's interesting, Tracy, I would meet a great girl, have a great time, but something wasn't right. And then, a couple days later, I'd meet another woman, I should say, not girl, woman, have a nice time. Something wasn't right. This happened over and over again. And after a year, I recognized that the something wasn't right was me. And at that time, the movie The Secret came out. Mm -hmm. And I remember watching it. I'm like, oh, my God, I remember. Like, I, when I say I remember, I had started to study metaphysics before I had gotten married. And I started to kind of lean into personal development and self-help. I remember buying Tony Robbins CDs before I got married. And for 15 years, they were still in the same box. <laughs> Isn't that funny when you get married and that's what happens? So what was it that stopped you? You know, why did that sit in the box? Why was it before you were married and then things changed? Well, because I was, I was with someone who didn't do any personal development. So I was writing the, I was writing the blueprint. I was writing the blueprint, you know, get married, buy a house, start a family, all right. that sort of thing. So that was, so I took that path and it wasn't until, and I talk about this, a humbling event. It took a, I mean, and by the way, I had like, a, I had like the perfect storm of humbling events. I had a divorce going on that was contentious. I lost my job and then losing the money. Right. It was like this calamity of chaos. 
happening in my life. And so it was easy to go to, to drugs to self-medicate and alcohol and dating because they were all mechanisms to soothe myself. Right. Well, it really makes you step outside of yourself, right? You're not dealing with the self. You're avoiding yourself. Yes. And I, that went on for almost a half a decade. Right. So what was it you, you said you got to this point where you realized after a year of all of these dates and all of this behavior, you said, wait a minute. Okay. I had an interest in these things before and I'm realizing I'm the issue. What was it that triggered that? Well, there were a couple. Oh, gosh, you know, it was interesting. One thing comes to mind. I remember having a date with a woman and um, we met right after um, um, New Year's Eve. I remember it was the next day, January 2nd. And we, we met for drinks and I thought we had a good time. And I, and I emailed her the next morning saying, hey, would you like to get together? And she goes, what are you talking about? You were an asshole on the date. I'm like, what do you mean? And, and, and she said, you were belligerent. And I'm like, and, and I, when I sat back, I remember that particular evening, I didn't eat any food before the date. Mm -hmm. And then I drank, or I had a couple drinks. And I wasn't, by the way, I, I, I was never an alcoholic and I was never a drug addict. I was more just self-medicating. It was more, I was giving myself minuscule tastes of stuff to soothe the pain. And when she said I was a belligerent asshole, that struck me, like that hit me hard, like because that was so not my intent. And I think I had alcohol poisoning is what really happened. Oh, wow. Um, and, and that's what happens when you don't have food in your stomach and you have a couple drinks. Mm -hmm. So in that moment, I said, I was talking to a female friend who I met online and I made lots of female friends. I was actually so blessed. I made so many amazing friendships, which eventually led to my profession. Mm -hmm. She goes, you need to take a break from this all, Jonathan. And that's when I began starting to do more personal development. Um, and then interestingly enough, there was another, so that, that was like one experience that stands out, but it wasn't until I met a woman online and uh, I'll never forget, you know, we, we, we had some mutual friends. So our first, we met online, but we had mutual friends. So there was some familiarity and our first date we went to a baby shower. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, because several of our mutual friends were going to be there. So we had, we had lots of mutual friends and we had, mm -hmm. we had Facebook friends and stuff like that. And so it was a very comfortable way of just getting to know her. And on our second date, uh, I had to have been driving by her house and I went to visit her. She said, come on by, we'll have a drink. And as we're talking, I'm sharing about my parents. And she says, do you live with your parents? Now, here I am in my mid-40s, at one time had this big house, and I'm now living with my parents, and I'm in absolute shame. Right. Because I don't want to lie to her, but I don't want to tell the truth. And so I, I said, wow, you, you're very intuitive. I go, yes, I do. And interestingly enough, she had never an intention to date me, <laughs> but I asked her out again and she said yes and i asked her out again yes and then we ended up going on a six-year journey of being together on and off a few times she was a therapist mm -hmm. okay mm -hmm. she had her own television show at one time she was on the news almost weekly at the time i met her 
So here's this woman that's like I, I put up on a pedestal and she's saying yes to me. She didn't reject me. Mm-hmm. And in that kind of that moment of like going, she, I mean, the fact that she didn't reject me basically allowed me to see my own worth. And so it was great to be in relationship with a therapist because we processed everything. <laughs> I can imagine. Oh my gosh. I mean, almost that's all we did was we were, we were actually better friends than we were in relationship, but we processed everything. I love that. I think it's funny. I think it's funny because of the timing of that too, because of Mm. where you were in your life, it's almost like the perfect storm. Yeah. And her acceptance of me and not rejecting me, um, allowed me, and at the time I was building my, my coaching practice and, and she saw my potential but not from that women see men's potential thing. I mean, I was actually making an impact. She could see the actual impact I was making. And at the time I met her, I think I only made 20 grand a year. And, and I went from that to a six-figure business within two years. So, um, and actually moving out of my parents' home and living at the beach and all that. Uh, but her acceptance of me gave, was a little bit of the, 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 the push and that, and I don't mean I needed it. I want to say, I wish I could say I didn't need it, but I'm grateful yeah. for that experience. Um, because I'm, you know, today I'm very blessed. And uh, well, the other thing I wanted to say, and I was, I was struggling with my words there for a moment. She broke my heart open. That acceptance in my shame really broke my heart open and her sharing with me female perspective really allowed me to step more into what it means to love. Mm -hmm. And that really broke me open as well. I can imagine that that would, because that's a foundation that it doesn't sound like you had in your marriage, obviously. No. You probably didn't know to look for that in the first place. So I believe in our culture anyways, that we put men in a certain position to have to be perfect in terms of, right? In terms of being protective and being the breadwinner and being all of these different things. And then if something happens and you fall short of that expectation, that there's a lot of shame that goes with that. Yeah, I was, that that was the piece that I, I I wore a a cloak of shame for Mm -hmm. so long. And to have someone say, I'm not gonna reject you for it, was you know liberating that feeling of acceptance and i think both men and women deeply want to be accepted for our humanness you know and that's what i experienced and that gave me enough of a enough of a footing to really then take it on my own and while she and i didn't work out in the long run we actually have remained very close in each other's lives we we treat each other as family she's in a relationship with someone right now her her partner and I play golf together. I mean, we, are, we have a social life together. And so while the relationship didn't, have, didn't work out, excuse me, the romantic relationship didn't work out, that relationship still continues. It's just in a different form. So I'm curious, and I know you've described, you know, some of these things as far as your working things out or, or processing things together. How is this different than your marriage? Like, how was this relationship different and how is it the same? <laughs> well, 
I, only because I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, I can't say the similarities, uh, just okay. out of respect for them. Uh, <laughs> um, how was it uh, different, this relationship? Well, part of it was, you know, I, I got married when I was, what, 28, 29 years old. I was a kid. I barely knew myself. I barely knew myself. And I was operating from ego most of my life, ego and fear. I mean, that's where. And what was so fascinating about her, this new relationship, is she had had her own TV show called Straight from the Heart. She was all about heart and compassion and empathy. So who I was in my 20s was ego and fear. And now I'm opening my heart to another way of operating of how would, what would love do? How would love respond? And it was through those experiences that really was the awakening for me. Okay. And that makes a lot of sense. So as you were saying, you know, you went through this whole trifecta of tragedy in a sense as an adult, right? Yeah. With most of us saying, well, this is the kind of life we're supposed to lead. And guess what? All this shit happened. And that's not how the fairy tale ended. Yeah. So from there, you know, in the journey that you've made in the six year relationship and all of that, there was something else ahead that was truly tragic and, yeah, and yeah. I mean, horrific. So do you want to talk about that? Yeah, but, but I, I'm going to talk about that, but I would like to share something, um, the in-between period of that sure. relationship and what I'm about to share is that when my relationship ended, I started to do even a deeper dive into personal growth, into self-help, into spiritual work. I mean, I really embraced self-discovery. And I, the, one of the first things I did was the Hoffman process. And that's an amazing inner child workshop to really identify limiting patterns, uh, limiting beliefs and negative patterns in your life as where they were in, with respects to childhood traumas. Then I began to do a more deeper dive, reading the book like The Untethered Soul. And, oh, you know, love that Michael, book. Yeah. That, that book is my Bible in the sense of learning how to talk to the voices in myself. Had. And then there was, of course, Abraham Hicks and Wayne Dyer, and the, the list goes on and on. And then Marianne Williamson's Return to Love. I love that book. It is such a powerful book, uh, along with The Course in Miracles. So, so I'm doing a deep dive of work now um, for about two years. And what happened was um, my mother had passed away. Um, she was 88 years old. She lived a good life. You know, I mean, I, you know, I think my little kid in me goes, you're, you're not allowed, you're, your parents aren't allowed to die, right? Right. But I, I was experiencing death for the first time in my life. Um, I went 50 plus years without having anyone close to me die. I mean, yeah, there were acquaintances in my life, but no one close to me. So now my mother passed away and I'm like, oh, wow. I mean, death is real. And six months after my mother passed away, my 19-year-old son died in an accident. And I, you're a parent, those who are listening who are parents know that our greatest fear, oh, this makes me cry now, our greatest fear is something happened to our children. And for 19 years, I lived in a perpetual hamster wheel of like, would they drown in the pool? Would they get kidnapped? Would this happen? Could they go to jail? Every fear I lived every single day, bam, 
it was gone. I mean, that actually that fear went away at that same time because worry went away because it happened. And, and it broke me open at the same time. And so there's no doubt that I recognized that. And I went, I went through the period of, you know, denial and anger and depression and all those things on the grief wheel that you hear about. But I remember being at his eulogy or excuse me, at the funeral, and I was giving it the eulogy. And I stopped and I said, I'm gonna make a, I'm gonna make a choice right now. I'm gonna choose to grieve with love because I know that my son would never want me to suffer. And, and, I, and by the way, I've joined grief groups and there's so much pain and suffering going on. I mean, deep pain. And while I don't, while I have pain, I have hurt. I'm not suffering because I've chosen to lean into the process with love. And about a, about a couple months before he passed away, I've been I've been writing blogs about what self love is, what self love is, what self love, what's it mean, what's it mean. And so I made the choice. I said two months after he passed, I'm going to write a new book because I've been writing another book about dating and relationship. I go. I need to talk, like, I'm getting this signal from, from spirit. You have to write a book about self-love because self-love is, is what I was experiencing all of this time before he passed away, was nurturing my soul. And nine months to the day after he passed, I published my second book. I made Amazon bestseller list for uh, new releases and that sort of thing. Um, and I'm very grateful well, I'm not grateful for his passing. I'm certainly grateful that I didn't choose to go down the path of pain and suffering. I can imagine that that is a choice that would be the most difficult choice you could actually make mm. because you're, you're basically sideswiped or hit head on when you have a child die and you're not expecting the child to die, first yeah. of all. And so it's put you into a whole other realm, but to have the strength or the fortitude or the ability to say, no, I'm making a choice about how I'm going to go down this path. And it sounds like you didn't deny yourself any of your pain, but it yeah. sounds like you're not making a swimming pool of suffering in it. Yeah. Well, what, as I reflected upon it in this, while writing the book, I was able to recognize this is that all that personal development works, self-help and spiritual work I did ahead of time was almost like a vaccination to chaos, emotional chaos, I mean. It was that, you know, self-love, and what I, by the way, for those hearing the word self-love, and my t-shirt says self-love, and my book says self-love, <laughs> is that it's, you know, it might be a turnoff. So another way of looking at it is self-worth, self-esteem, self-reliance, self-confidence. All of those self words represent loving on oneself. And so, you know, I'm sure when you've been on an airplane and you've heard the flight attendant say, in the case of cabin pressure change, oxygen mask will drop and put your mask on first. And what that's saying is, the, the, what the oxygen is, is love. In other words, if we're unable to take care of ourselves, we can't take care of anyone else. Right. I had been spending so much time taking care of me that when this happened, I had at least a foundation to be able to navigate it without choosing 
you know, pain and suffering as my option. And I look at it as a choice. For some people, it's not a choice. It is what they're going to experience. Right. I just say, I make it a choice that I'm going to lean into the most important word on our planet is love. To me, that's the most important word. That's the only truth there is. Now, what love means, there's a whole different conversation going on. But I, right. I do believe the power of love. Um, isn't that a... Huey Lewis song? Uh, I think it is a Huey Lewis song. <laughs> yeah. It just occurred to me, right, as I said yeah. it. So, um, and why not lean into love? And some people might say, well, Jonathan, you're doing a spiritual bypass. You're avoiding your feelings. Believe me, I cried last, last Friday night. I was in deep pain. I get triggered when I see a child, when I heard about um, an athlete who passed away. All the different things will trigger that for me, I allow myself the experience, and then I come back to love. So what I want to know are a couple of things, and you can sure. go anywhere with this. Number one, when you're saying, you know, self-love and it's self-worth and all these other things, most people want to know, well, what does that actually mean in action, in words, like how you live? What does that mean? And the other thing is, you know, when you are grieving a child or you're grieving anybody, and you're deciding not to suffer, but you still have to feel the pain. You still have to feel your feelings. How is that different than, you know, when people are going, oh, you must be avoiding because isn't love mixed in with the feelings? So go anywhere with either of those. But those are the questions that I have for you with what you're saying. So, you know, my, my, I'm going to say what self-love isn't. Mm -hmm. Let's, I'm going to look at it from the inverse from that. So self-love isn't self-judgment, self-attack, self-crucifixion, self-denial, you know, denial, all those things, that's what self-love isn't. And in other words, when, it, it's almost like this. It's, it's fascinating as human beings how much we will attack ourselves. And yet, if, you know, if we saw a friend of ours doing it, we would nurture them and love them through that. So self-love is loving the little kid inside of us who's scared or an ego. In other words, that place that's so scared that it has to attack on oneself. That's what self-love is. It's, it's turning that around and nurturing that little kid inside of us mm -hmm. as if we would any friend or child. Um, so I look at self-love from that perspective. And, and when I talk about self-esteem as an example, it's, it's, it's learning how to stand up for oneself, not at the expense of anyone else, not the expense. So, so self-love is standing up for oneself, not the expense of anyone else, nor is it about giving to anyone else at one's own expense. Oftentimes, you know, here we live in victim consciousness, especially in the United States. And, you know, everyone's a martyr. I give, I give, I give. You know, I'm giving all this love and, and I'm at my own expense. But that's not loving yourself. That's not even real love. That's, that's, that's giving to get in many that's cases. That's people pleasing. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it fascinates me how many people are leaning into so much victim consciousness around the word love. They give, they give, they give, they don't get. Um, you know, when, when Connor passed away, I became more acutely aware of the, what I call the number one emotional health issue facing most everybody. And that's a lack of self-worth, a lack of not feeling good enough. I'm not likable. I'm not lovable. 
it's, it's so, it's almost foundational at a subconscious level. And how do I know that? Because of people's actions. Right. Because <laughs> it's right. not very loving, you know, um, so to themselves. So I'm here to have more conversation about how to do it in a way that's, that allows for what I, I think what's most important is not the pursuit of happiness, as in the Declaration of Independence, I'm here to, I'm on a pursuit of inner peace. To me, when we pursue happiness, we're gonna get the yin for the yang. We're gonna get the opposite. If we're pursuing happiness, we're gonna get corresponding sadness because that's what balance is all about. Inner peace is right in the middle. So that's what I shoot for, and that's the, the invitation I lean into. What was the second question? <laughs> uh, what was the second question? The I think it had to do with the grief part. Uh, yeah, it had to do with the grief part about what people were saying to you about, oh, you must not be feeling your feelings. Oh, again. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, if you're going straight to love that I'm saying isn't love a feeling because yeah. I, it's a feeling. Well, I, you know, in some level, I mean, there's no doubt I've been in denial and I might still be in denial. By the way, am I allowed to curse? Oh yeah, go ahead. Okay, so, who gives a fuck, you know, if I'm in <laughs> denial? You know, I mean, it's my journey, you know? <laughs> yes. uh, I only know that how I, you know, I haven't had a, a breakdown of such that caused me to go back to the drinking, go back to the drugs, go back to real denial. Mm -hmm. um, I do believe it's important to feel the pain and allow that pain to flow through you. And, and the reality is, is, you know, here's the thing. It, that's, that experience is a part of me. I mean, let's face it, losing a child is, is gonna be a part of me and I'm gonna feel sadness and sorrow. But we're, we as human beings experience this all the time. It could be the loss of a parent. It could be a loss of your, your partner. It could be a loss of job. There are all types of grief out there. And so, um, I'm here to suggest that if we're gonna if we're we're gonna experience loss, whether we like it or not, let's start experiencing it through love, and let's not be afraid to talk about it. You know, here's the thing: people are so afraid to talk to me about the loss of my son. And I shot a video on this. I said, "What to say and how to date a grieving parent?" Because I'm single, and I'm I'm giving you the instruction manual how to date me. Here's the thing: talk about my son. <laughs> right. You know, if you've got children, you're talking about your kids and I've got, you know, I've got two boys. One is with lives with his mom, the other one lives in heaven. Uh I want to talk about both of them, not one of them. So, um and 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 I'm feeling safe that it I'm I'm going to take care of myself. Nobody has to worry about triggering me. In fact, it's actually the opposite. When you bring them up, I might cry for a moment, but then I'm 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 ex I'm enthusiastic because I want to maintain him in my life. I don't want to ever forget him. I'm not that I would, but you know what I mean? Like, in other words, I don't want anyone to think I don't need to talk about him. I want to talk about him. I just think in our culture that people have trouble talking about death and about things that aren't yeah. happy. Um, unfortunately, life isn't really made up of experiences that are all happy and so i think people always try to bypass that like when you're dating somebody doesn't want to bring up the truth about themselves or they want to hide out right because yeah. that could be negative but they don't really get that hey if you're dating don't you want to be accepted as you are with everything with all of your experiences because if yeah you're 
Yes. And, and yes. interesting enough, talking about my son makes me happy. That's good. <laughs> it That's actually good. is. It, so, so that fear that it's going to make me unhappy, no. I mean, yes. Now, what's fascinating is it's too, I'm going to share this with your audience. I'm going to go off subject here for a second. It's been 18 months since he passed away. 18 months feels like a lifetime since I've seen him physically. I mean, it feels like it was 100 years ago. But if I think about the day he passed, I can think about it like it was this happening in this very second. So it's an interesting how in our reality, um, haven't seen him for a year, you know, for a year and a half feels like a decade. But I can remember the day I saw his lifeless body. I'm gonna feel that feeling of sadness in that moment. But I'm also gonna remember that my last physical awake moment with him was a hug and a kiss and I love you. That was what we said, that was the last words we said to each other, other than the text message um, the day before. But mm -hmm. I'm like, I have this beautiful memory of him coupled with this horrific memory of a lifeless body. Right, I can see where that contrast would be on the one hand you feel this way on the one hand you feel the other way but the point is we're human beings and we have all sorts of feelings anyway and none should be denied no not whatsoever and if someone's path is going to be pain and suffering for a long time and the the consequences that come with that that's part of the journey too and so you know i said earlier we're we're all going to experience a humbling event Right. And for some people, it takes you down the rabbit hole of despair and pain and suffering. And for some people, they never recover from that. And that's part of their journey. Mine, you know, at first broke me open and there was a lot of pain and suffering went on. But um, I also was able to break out of, you know, the, the pit of despair. And that's what I want to lean into is that we are all capable of doing that. And there's only one antidote for that, and that is love. Or at least that's my perception. Let me just say right. that. That's right. not an absolute. Right. I mean, that's Jonathan's absolute. <laughs> we can le right. lean into love. And that's when I wrote my book. I give examples. I talk about the importance of speaking your truth and doing it with kindness. I, I talk about don't let anyone fuck with your chi. I talk about the importance of building a tribe. I talk about the importance of building a healthy body so you can carry you through the, the older years and such. So those are all ways of loving on oneself. I think that's great. And I also, you know, in your journey and the choice that you've made, so how has that impacted other things as far as, you know, what you do for a living? Because you were basically a midlife dating coach for women. So how has that impacted what you do there? Has that changed anything? Is it the same? Yeah, my great question. So my tolerance <laughs> for egoic human behavior is very low. <laughs> And, and, and sadly, in the dating realm, it's riddled with ridiculous traditions and expectations and, and rules and such like that. And I have fucking no you know, patience for that. Um, with that said, I recognize that we're all hurt and wounded and, and, and suffering, whether it's childhood traumas or adult experiences that are created negative. So I'm here to say, I may have low patience, but I have incredible amount of compassion. 
for both men and women. You know, I, women sadly have to point the finger always at men. You know, men are this, men are this, men are this, and men are doing the same. Mm -hmm. I'm here to go, remember those three fingers pointing at you. Right. <laughs> Whenever you and I hope to break open that element of taking personal responsibility and reinvesting that into nurturing one's old their own self-worth, self-esteem, self-confidence, self-love. Because then when one dates from a place of sovereignty, a place of confidence, a place of my cup, my love cup is at least being filled up. Right. You're then in a capacity to choose another mate that's that way. And not everybody, you know, we're going to get our contrast until we learn our lesson. That's the way I've observed it. So I just want to break people open and going, Instead of pointing the finger, look at the three fingers pointing back. Just like when I said earlier, after 100 internet dates, something was wrong. That something wrong was me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's always the place to come from. I mean, my work centers on self-responsibility. And yeah. you are the common denominator. And a lot of it is either we come from love or fear. That's it. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> so. How is your dating life these days? You said you're single. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's fascinating. Uh, before our, our, our um, before the interview today, I had us uh, out of the blue, first thing in the morning, I had just been ex uh, having an exchange with a woman who I met through a dating app called Bumble. And, um, and we, we actually got vulnerable with each other. I actually shared about the loss of my son in the, in the exchange we had, which some people say, oh my God, don't be so you know, forthright, don't be honest. Whereas I'm the opposite. I lean into the deeper conversations. And so she ended up calling me at about 6.30 this morning because I sent her a text at six. I, I was responding to something she said the night before. And we ended up having this great conversation that had so much depth and so much honesty and we shared ideas and we, we explored ideas. So we didn't just share ideas, we explored the, because we had different points of view and we ended up talking for two hours um, wow. or more. And it was just a very, like she was going for a walk and I was cleaning my place. You know, I was making the bed and doing all kinds of stuff. Why I'm sharing this with you is what was beautiful for me was we were talking with each other. We were talking with each other. And sadly, many people in the dating realm talk at each other. And, um, and during that conversation, we've agreed to meet. We're hoping it's going to be tomorrow night. But if not, it's going to be next week, just from a scheduling perspective. And, and what I now date, I, I'm very clear. I want to have a life partner. I, I want to have a mate in my life. I want a partner. But I'm also recognizing, I'm really practicing what I teach. And I say, the, I'm, can I, I'm going to share with your audience the four pillars of relationship success is, is the way Jonathan Asley sees it. And that's obviously is chemistry or attraction. That's the first piece that we always notice. Second is shared values. Third is blendable lifestyles. And fourth is emotional maturity. So self-love is really about shoring up that emotional maturity piece. It's really about really becoming a grown-up because human interaction can be very chaotic. 
And what I liked about the woman is we, we had grown up conversations, you know, and I don't mean like it was all head. It was, there was heart there, but I could already tell she, the fact that she didn't, we, she wasn't being accusatory when we were sharing ideas and she wasn't being closed minded. I, there, there was an openness and that is what I'm thirsty for. Well, I believe that <clears throat> this isn't a woo woo thing, but yeah. I believe, and this is not just with dating, but in life that, wherever you're at, you're giving off a certain energy and yeah. you're being matched in that way. It's like when you walk into a party and you can tell what someone's mood is, you can tell who's open and who's closed because we're animals and we have animal instinct. And I honestly believe that as you become more open, you attract people that are more open in your yes. life, in all parts of your life, by the way. Well, it was funny because she and I talked about energy and we were talking about the same thing, a big room or a small room. Where do you, where do you get your energy from? We were actually talking about that. And what I, I'm going to share this with you, with everyone, is that what was so cute about our conversation, she goes, I really want to date like a six-year-old again, like being in kindergarten. And we were talking about that energy of playing with the other kids in the kindergarten type of thing. And she goes, that's what I want to experience, that beginner's mind. And while, you know, it's going to be difficult to peel away all of the childhood wounds and traumas, adult traumas and experiences to get to that beginner's mind. It's like, but the fact that that's where that she wants to play from, that she wants to dance from that, I'm like loving it because wouldn't it be great to meet like when you were, when you were 16 years old, you know, and it was like, what was that movie with, um, oh shoot, I was thinking of Brooke Shields or whatever, but, um, but that, just that energy yeah. of young love. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that requires peeling away all that armor that's been built up in many case, people's cases. And I can tell you from a dating perspective, I, I have met women who on the date, I'm talking to them. I'm sitting them with them at a restaurant. They're right across from me. And I can see every boyfriend that's ever hurt them standing right behind her. I mean, literally, you can see it. It's like mm -hmm. there. Right. Not from a literal perspective, but from an energetic mean. perspective. And by the way, for ladies that are listening to this, men can be equally problematic and pain in the ass and assholes as well. So I'm not here to point one a finger to one gender it's both it's just a different version of it i agree because i work with men and women and whether they're straight or gay it's same it's it's we're human beings it's an emotional issue that's based off of your life experiences and yeah. how you perceive them so um so what are some tips that you want to give to the audience and then I, you can share a bit about your book as well well my first tip is buy my book <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, uh, well i'm i'm pausing only because my encouragement is to begin a daily personal development self-help spiritual practice i mean daily and i don't mean self-care as if in going to get your nails done or doing a bubble bath kind of thing <laughs> yes that's what most people think yeah, i'm always that, saying that too yeah yeah that's self-care and that's certainly self-maintenance what i'm talking about self-discovery and i if and meditation is certainly a nice place to 
to, to integrate that into one's life. I'm a huge proponent of it. Uh, and there's, and by the way, when I say meditation, you don't have to do om and sit in the corner and, you know, be quiet. I, I meditate when I walk. We all, there's different forms of meditation. Um, but I'm talking about deeper. I'm talking about reading books like The Untethered Soul. I'm talking about watching videos of Wayne Dyer or Abraham Hicks. I'm talking about going to seminars and, and, and filling your love cup up with knowledge, with experience out there, all centered around um, shoring up our love cup. I, lately, I've been watching uh, Matt Kahn, who I really like, and I'm even leaning into Ayn Rand's work uh, on objectivism, you know, from her book Atlas Shrugged and um, Fountainhead. I, so nurture your soul. You know, I mean, here's the thing. You could watch the Kardashians. You could watch The <laughs> Bachelor. You could even watch the Super Bowl. But I'm like fucking spending 15 minutes or an hour, you know, discovering who you really are you know it's it's you know and i'm sorry i'm i'm, I'm agitated right oh, now okay. i'm just being yeah. passionate you know there's so much garbage out there including the news in and of itself redirect that energy into you yeah and that's yep. my invitation i love that um by the way i stopped watching the news after uh 911 oh wow yeah. <laughs> mine yeah. was after the last election yeah. You just get, I got to a point where I realized that I was emotionally being drug out into situations that weren't even true. And I just thought, yeah. I, don't, I don't need this shit. So anyway, um, so where can people find you? Well, I'm glad you asked again, my book, what the heck is self-love anyway? And you could just type in selflovethebook.com. That'll take you to Amazon. Um, certainly my website, jonathanaslay.com. Um, Actually, I'm sure here in the show notes, I'm going to offer everyone a, a couple chapters of my book. So I'm sure they can press a link somewhere here. Um, social media, um, Facebook, uh, Twitter, all those, Instagram, all those places. Um, actually, my YouTube channel. I've been, for those particular, I, I work with women mostly, but my YouTube channel is called Understand Men Now. And I shoot very, not provocative videos, but real heart-centered videos coming from a compassionate place of where men and women are operating instead of the egoic, this is the way it's supposed to be and the rules of dating. And I, because I abhorred the rules, I'm, I'm a contrarian. I'm here to give you the opposite advice that everyone else is giving you. Well, I'm right there with you because I do the same thing. So yeah, I don't believe that there is uh, rules that society should be making for an individual when it comes to love. No. So um, but I love what you've talked about. I love that you've been able to bring in all of these different aspects of your life. I think that my audience, they really resonate with anybody that I, I do bring on here that's gone through tragic circumstances or anything where they've gone through something and it could have gone one way and instead you chose a different way. Yeah, thank you. You are welcome. Um, I'm, I'm grateful an opportunity to speak to your community. I. I feel as though, I want to end on one note, mm -hmm. is that, uh, well, one thing, I just want to say, this is my mom and dad, and that's my son who passed away, my other son and I. Um, I'm a big proponent of the idea of paying things forward. In other words, and, and by doing that, I mean by leading by example. So my invitation for everyone is 
lean into love more every day. Lean into the word love. Say it, put it in your consciousness, write it in places, but really embrace the word love and lean into it as much as you can and start spreading more love any chance you get, whether it's buying coffee for the person at the coffee shop or doing something you know, to, for someone else. Lean into more love because the more we do that, the more collective love is around us on a daily basis. I love I love that. <laughs> I do because I'm a strong proponent of all about love and that we definitely starting with the self and bringing it outward, I think is the greatest gift that human beings can give to each other. Yeah. Amen to that. All right. So I have really enjoyed our conversation today, Jonathan. Um, yeah. I'd love to have you back at some point and uh, right. we could talk about these things more because I know my audience is definitely attuned to what you're saying. So mm. thank you again. My pleasure, giving you a big hug. All right, I love those virtual hugs. All <laughs> right, everybody, I'll see you next time when I do Surviving to Thriving. Have a good one, bye-bye.